welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 9th of October 2016, entitled, Our Ascended Lord. And the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 12. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Isaiah chapter 53. Certainly a familiar passage to us. One of those Old Testament prophecies written some 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, but yet so vividly describing what he would face and go through for us. I invite you to stand this evening as we take for our reading uh, the entire chapter, 12 verses, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 53 as we stand and read together. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. But he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, Thank you again, Lord, that we can have this 
time to look into your word this evening, your word that you have preserved for us, that we still have before us, your spirit that dwells within us to give us understanding. Help us, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. Speak to us, Lord, that that would impact our very souls, that would speak to our hearts, and Lord, that would some way, somehow, make us not just better people, make us more like our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Of course, the prophet Isaiah, again, as he was looking, and we have looked at this passage in different times, and yes, and of course, as I was saying, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying uh, something around 700 years before the, to the birth of Christ, and yet he depicts for us such a vivid picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering when he came to suffer for us. Isaiah had the same problem that all of God's people have right down through the centuries, that even though the truth is there, who wants to believe it? Who's willing to accept it? And of course, when Jesus Christ himself came, even he was rejected. And of course, he goes through this, this, this great description of of Jesus Christ and his willingness to literally be humiliated and die the death that we deserve in our place so that we could be saved. And I want us to really focus our attention there upon verse 11. Again, speaking of Christ, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He, God, shall see of the travail of his, Jesus' soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he, again, Jesus, shall bear their iniquities. We have a very distinct advantage over those that were hearing these prophecies for the first time when they were being given. As we read the Old Testament and we read these prophecies of things that are to come, we realize that we can see them in light of the New Testament, which they did not have, that tells the story of when Jesus did come and all that uh, he accomplished while he was here uh, upon this earth. The Old Testament saints, they knew absolutely nothing of the New Testament church. It wasn't in existent yet, and, and you've heard me say before that it's, it's, it's kind of like sometimes if you've ever been on a mountain and you've looked across to another mountain and you can see peaks and you can see peaks and you can see peaks. I just took uh, uh, quite a few pictures of those of some of the, uh, of the Great Smoky Mountains when I was back in the States. And of course, as you're standing there on one mountain peak and you look out across the, the wonderful beauty of God's creation, you see all these different peaks and different heights, but you know what? You can't see any of the valleys in between. You see the mountaintops, but you don't see the valleys. And of course, when God was giving a lot of these prophecies, in dealing with the nation of Israel, they didn't know about the grace, the period of grace that you and I live in. They didn't know about the New Testament church. As a matter of fact, you have to keep in mind as you're reading that the promise that they were looking for was an earthly promise, a promised land here upon this earth. And then we find in, in many instances where that in a lot of these prophecies, and especially in, in, in Daniel, when they're looking forward to 
uh, to the great tribulation period and, and the kingdom of Jesus Christ being set up upon this earth, but he didn't see the church in between. Uh, they didn't understand all of the heavenly promises yet because God had not yet revealed those things to them. But as you and I, in light of those things, when we look back, it's easier for us sometimes to be able to, to see just how clear that the revelation really was when we look upon it. Uh, only very rarely in the Old Testament did we see anything about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah was, has laid before us here in this chapter, if you would, a, a very clear a vision of his sufferings, of his humiliation. And as we begin to read this and we know how that it was fulfilled, we can catch a glimpse because a lot of the things, for example, that last verse when it says that he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, we can understand that in a lot fuller light today. So as we're gathered here this evening, I really want to just focus our attention for a bit. As far as I know, you're all Christians, and I praise God for that. But just upon our ascended Lord, what he did here, but we can see even, even beyond that. You see, in verse 11 here that we've, that we've looked at, we see the result of the death of Jesus Christ. There's two big words in there that I want you to just grasp and think on for a minute. He says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be, what's the next word in your Bible? Satisfied. God is going to see the travail of the soul of Jesus Christ and he's going to be satisfied. You've heard me speak sometimes of a word that I love that's still in our, in our, in our old King James Bibles that's been removed from a lot of the newer Bibles because it's not a word that's used every day in our language and whatnot, but it's a beautiful word. And most of the words they've tried to replace it with to make it easier to understand, in fact, they end up losing part of the meaning. But it's that great word, propitiation. Jesus Christ was a propitiation for our sins. And we, we find it several times in the Bible, and the Bible says a propitiation for our, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You've heard me say many times, it's hard to describe it in a nutshell, but from what I can gather and understand that word, it, it was a legal term that meant complete satisfaction. God was completely satisfied. Jesus Christ satisfied all of the requirements of God. And that's exactly what Isaiah is saying to us here. God's requirement for sin's penalty had to be satisfied. And in that substitutionary death that Jesus Christ died for us, we find that God was completely satisfied. That was done. It was done when Jesus Christ died on the cross and it was done once for all time. There was never another need for God to be satisfied except through the death of Jesus Christ when Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood, he paid the price, the full price, everything that was necessary passed for these Old Testament saints that were hearing this 
prophecy some 700 years before he came and all those other Old Testament saints that were looking forward, even from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first man and woman looking for that one Jesus Christ who was coming. So we find that we need to recognize, and how do we know that God was satisfied? Well, of course, the Bible tells us right here that he shall be satisfied by Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that because that's what the resurrection is all about. You see, if God hadn't been completely satisfied, if there was one sin that still remained upon Jesus Christ that it wasn't sufficient for, he would still be dead. The wages of sin is death. The only reason that Jesus could rise from the dead is because, again, you know, I keep trying to, to paint this picture that, that we keep looking back to, but sin has to be dealt with. Sin must be dealt with. Sin is what separates us from God. So even at that moment in our lives when we come to recognize and we say, wow, I'll never do that again. I'll never commit another sin. But what about the sins you've already committed? What we're being reminded of here is that it was the travail of Jesus Christ, his soul. When he died upon the cross, that's what satisfied God. God will be satisfied by what Jesus Christ did. And God was satisfied. And if he hadn't been satisfied, you'd still have a tomb to go to, just like with every other religion of the world where they can go and they can show you a grave of their founder or whoever it is that they're worshiping because there's still a body or the remains of what something that used to be a body that they can point to. You can't. He is not here. He is risen. Praise God. So the first thing we see is in this verse is the result of the death of Jesus Christ was the satisfaction of God. But look what he says further than that. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Look, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant, what's the next word, justify many. For he shall bear their iniquity. He could justify them because he's going to bear their iniquities. The work of justification, again, we try to describe it simply sometimes. To be justified is just as if I'd never sinned. It has to be justified in order for it not to still be there. This continuing work of justification is something that is still taking place in the present. You see, God was satisfied one time, once for all, when Jesus Christ died upon the cross. But because he was satisfied with that, he can now do the work of justification in our lives right now, some 2,000 years later. That work is still going on when that sacrifice is applied to our souls individually. It says... By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. By his knowledge. Stop and think about that a minute. Through his knowledge, not our knowledge, not how smart. Through his knowledge, through the knowledge, I think we can look at it in one sense, it's through the knowledge of Christ. It's through our knowledge of him as Lord and Savior 
is the only way that we can ever, ever be born again. But it's through his knowledge, the only way to come to that faith, that we can have the knowledge in order to be saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's God's knowledge that we have revealed to us in his word. This is the very word of God. It's his knowledge that can bring us satisfaction. The only way that we can have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he did is through the knowledge of Christ, through the knowledge of God that we have preserved for us upon the pages of this book. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is the only knowledge that will change a man's life, not only now, but for all of eternity. The word, and it's that word from which we gain and we learn and we grow and we, we find, find ourselves theoretically and hopefully, realistically, becoming more and more like our Savior, the knowledge of him. The Bible talks about us having the mind of Christ, us being able to know what he wants, to understand his will. This is where we find it, folks, the way that we can know what God wants of us, what God wants us to be and where God wants us to go, the way that he guides us and the way that he uses us is through his word. It's not through man's knowledge as Great as that might be, it's only through God's knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. By the knowledge of Christ is he able to justify us because it's only through faith that we can come to his grace that we can stand before God. For he shall bear their iniquities. Some people find it easy to accept. Jesus Christ was a great teacher. Some people don't have a problem with the things that he taught, with the morals that he, that he stood for, the morals that he conveyed to us. But what they have a problem is with him saving us, with us needing saving, and with what Jesus did. Most people don't have a problem accepting a Jesus of history. Even those Sadducees and Pharisees and those that did not accept him as their Lord and as their Savior, even some of them would call him a great rabbi, a great teacher, the things that he was teaching until they got onto some things that, <laughs> that got down to where they were living and they weren't so keen. His purpose in coming it wasn't just to teach us. It wasn't just to be a great example, though he's the greatest example that ever lived. He's the greatest teacher that ever walked upon this earth. That's not why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save us, to provide the way that you and I needed to get back to God. You see, God gave us that life, but the sin separated us from that life. He came to atone for our sins because it was our sins that separated us from that life. He came to give us the opportunity having that relationship once again, but the first step is to learn of him. And it's only when we learn of him that then we can trust it, we can believe it, we can exercise our faith, we can trust it as being the truth, we can call upon him as Lord and Savior, we can seek that forgiveness from God because we believe that he did bear our iniquities, that he was satisfied 
God was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ brought and by the knowledge of that that God gives to us, you and I can be justified today if we'll come we can truly put our faith and our trust in him. The results of his death was something that no other death in all the world and no other act in all the world could possibly accomplish on the basis of his righteousness. He can justify those for whom he bore their iniquities based on his righteousness, not ours, but he did bear our iniquities. There is absolutely no justification without the provision of the only righteous one that could ever bear our iniquities for us. The one alone who could bear our sin and that did bear your sin, the one alone that gives you the possibility of forgiveness. We sing that great hymn sometimes, living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away, rising, he justified freely forever. What did we sing a while ago? One day, he's coming, oh glorious day. See, if we look into the New Testament in Romans chapter 10, <clears throat> and, you know, again, it's one of those places that we so often turn when we want to show others how that they themselves can be saved. But in Romans chapter 10, we find that the Word of God says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they might what? Be saved. That was Paul's greatest, greatest desire, that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to, what did we just talk about? Not according to knowledge. People can have a, a passion uh, for God, and, and we look around us, and I promise you folks, there are some out there that put us to shame, and they are in false religions. They have the zeal. They honestly think that what they're doing is somehow going to make it okay with God one day, but without the true knowledge of the Word of God. Just being passionate, just being sincere. You can be passionate about something that's completely wrong, you can be just as sincerely wrong as you can sincerely right. We need to be sincere. We need to be passionate, but with the right knowledge that he's given to us. For they, he says, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Isn't it easier to believe that somehow we can do something that will be right with God rather than submitting ourselves to the fact that he's the only one that's right and it's his righteousness that's going to make us all right. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to who? To every one that believeth. That's it. The law is fulfilled in Christ. God's law is completely fulfilled in Christ. You, in Christ, fulfill God's law. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law 
that the man which doeth those things shall live by them, but the righteousness which is of faith, speaking on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without somebody to proclaim it to them, to give them the truth. How shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. What did Isaiah say? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? That was where we started in Isaiah 53. Isaiah said, Lord, nobody pays it any attention. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We can't make somebody believe, but how are they going to believe unless they're given the truth? How are they going to know unless they have the knowledge of God? A lot of them have a zeal, they have a passion, they have all these things, but without the knowledge. This is the only thing. We find that we read up there in, in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is no other way without the knowledge of what Jesus Christ did. He says in verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Esaias is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth mine hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Basically, you can thank God, even though that this was the nation of Israel that he was writing Isaiah 53 to about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that he made it available to you as well. To the Gentile, to the stranger. The same Jesus, the same act. You see, it's the receiving of the promise that God has made to us. The result of his death, satisfaction and justification. God being satisfied with the sacrifice that was made in Jesus Christ, satisfied totally, completely for every sin that could ever be committed, that he might justify those that by knowledge would believe and understand and know 
and act upon his truth. Look with me real quick. I just want to read a couple of other passages for you this evening. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He goes on to further promise them that Jesus Christ See, just as Isaiah was prophesying what the results of the death of Christ would be, Jesus was promising right here that it was expedient for him now to go away so that that other one could come, that Holy Spirit to live within us that would be able to bring that convention, that same Holy Spirit that convicted your heart, that same Holy Spirit that will work through you to convince others and convict other people's hearts. That's the only way. The natural man understandeth not the things of God. But Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit. Today, that's what we have to count on. You see, it was Jesus Christ that did all the work. But God has allowed you and I to be privileged for God to live within us through the person of the Holy Spirit that that truth can be shared with others. Look what he said in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And he says there in the last closing verses of that chapter, verse 50 says, and he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with a great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Why are we here this evening? Why do we gather together as God's people too many people do it for all the wrong reasons. We're here because we're his people. This is his house. We're here to praise and to bless him. We're here that he can be magnified in our midst. To magnify something is to make it bigger, to make it clearer. It should be Jesus Christ that we're making bigger in our presence, not who we are, our abilities, our inabilities, or anything else. Here because of him. Because of that same one that we read about in Isaiah 53, we see here the reality of his parting. He did go and ascend back to heaven. We find that if you look into Hebrews chapter 6, you see something that simply called the realization of power. Sometimes we can, we can feel so overwhelmed 
by that which needs to be done, by that work that God has, has left for us. In Hebrews chapter 6, he says in, in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the heavenly ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and, be and briars is rejected and is nigh to cursing whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of him who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The Word of God teaches us that there are some things that come along with salvation. We're changed people. We're not the same people that we were. We're occupying a strange land but there's a work for us to do. And I won't take the time to read all of, the, uh, all of the passages, but if you look into the book of Acts, which describes again that time that our Lord Jesus ascended back to, to heaven, look with me into Acts chapter 1. Notice just these few simple things here. In Acts chapter 1, Again, Luke writing this Acts of the Apostles, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And they therefore were come together. They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, 
shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You see, there's a couple of things there. First of all, the power is a power that is beyond our... If we're going to be witnesses for him, then it requires his power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's all kind of confusion on that subject. And if you've got any confusion there, let me know. And I've got all kind of notes that are written that I've preached from this pulpit on it. But I believe that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes in too. I believe there's only one baptism, and that's when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You cannot be a witness until Jesus Christ himself, you can't witness something that you haven't experienced yourself, seen with your own eyes, know with your own selves. A lost person can't be a witness for Jesus Christ. We can be a witness as believers because of the Holy Spirit that has come and taken up residence within us. That's the power, the only power that will actually allow others to see. Through that power, we can be the witnesses that he's talking about here, witnessing. You don't have to be a theological genius. You have to know what Christ did for you if he's going to do it for others. You have to be able to take the stand and say, I know who Jesus Christ is. I know what he can do for your life because I know what he's done for me. That hope of his return, this same Jesus, which you see going, this same Jesus is the one that's returning again for you. And you see, even in Isaiah 53, when Isaiah was talking about Jesus being at the right hand of God, interceding on their behalf, they didn't know what that was all about. You and I know that even now, as we're still here, Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And that one day, that same Jesus that's there interceding on our behalf is going to return to this earth to take us out of here to go to be with him. So this evening, I just want to remind you that the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ right now is alive and at the right hand of the Father. We know the results of his death. God was completely satisfied, and it made it possible for you and I to be justified by the knowledge of him. Only that knowledge can bring us to justification, to receive the promise. The reality of his parting, his ascending back into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father and sending us that one to live within us, to dwell within us, the Holy Spirit. But even though there's only one baptism, day by day, moment by moment, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't get more of Him, folks. He's not like this water that Antonio brought for me here somewhere a while ago. You know, that's a substance that you can have more of, you can have less of, you can get more of it. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't have him, you don't have God. <laughs> it's just that simple. You don't belong to him. He's a person. You have him or you don't have him. But how much of you does he have? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not about getting more of God. It's about God getting more of you. It's about that yielding. It's about even what we just could read about in the chapter before John chapter 16 there, if we look back into John chapter 15 and we read about the vines and the branches, God wants to control your life. 
God wants to give you everything that you need. God wants to use you. I just want to remind you this evening that the same Jesus, the same Jesus that satisfied God for your sins, justified you because of your knowledge of Him, the righteousness of Him, by putting your faith and trust in Him, that same Jesus that sits at the right hand of God right now through the Holy Spirit, He lives within you. He's there with you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, He wants you to be a witness for Him. He wants Him to show through you. He wants to control your life. What God can do through you is probably beyond anything that you can even imagine. No matter where you've been or what you've done, we're not talking about what we can do. It's about what God wants to do through us. Jesus Christ came. He did the part that was necessary for our salvation. That's why he came. Now he wants to do that same through you for many others around us. Father, thank you this evening, Lord, just for reminding us of Jesus. We can never hear too much of Jesus. We can never hear too much about Jesus. Thank you, God, as we see this great picture that was written even some 700 years before he came, that the travail of his soul was going to satisfy you. You would be satisfied because of what Jesus went through, not what we go through, what Jesus did. Lord, that we could be justified because of the knowledge of him that he bore our sins. He bore our iniquities. So, Father, we thank you that as we gather together this evening on this day, that we can give you praise and thanks for that. But, Lord, also as we see toward the end that, that that same Jesus that died for us, that rose again the third day, through whom we can be justified, he's ascended into heaven, and even now he's there at the right hand of God. But as he's there at the right hand of God, He's come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to dwell within us, to empower us, to help us to be the witnesses here on earth that we need to be. Oh, help us, God. We know that we're nothing. We know that we can accomplish nothing. We know that our Savior lives. We know that we're here for a purpose, and that's for His work to be done. May you please see fit, Lord, to use us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.